You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. This is episode 93, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. And with me today are two not-regular panelists from uh, Gamers with Jobs, Laura Krieger. Where are my green M&Ms? I asked for green M&Ms! <laughs> and the producer of Game Sharks Jumping the Shark podcast, my colleague over there, Mr. Todd Brackey. Hello, hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Yeah, welcome, guys. This is both of your second uh, three MAs, and glad you can make it. Uh, Rob and Julian both had plans for tonight, and we couldn't record our usual evening, so this is going to be a little bit later in the week uh, because of circumstances beyond most people's control. But uh, I have a very deep bench to draw from, and I'm glad Todd and Lara could be here. They're here with a very special guest, a friend of the show who's been on twice before. This is his third appearance, which I think is a record for somebody from the industry. Uh, probably soon to be topped by Brad Wardell when he releases his next broken game. We have... <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I kid, because Brad's a good guy. <laughs> from Electronic Arts, uh, good friend Soren Johnson. Soren, glad you can make it. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here. Uh, we have Soren on to discuss a topic that he raised at GDC way back in March, and I thought, wow, this would be a great idea for a show. Let's see when our schedule will work out. Well, here we are, in a- <laughs> <laughs> and finally getting around to talk about uh, the issues of theme and meaning and mechanics in strategy games and board games, uh, specifically uh, when mechanics of a game either collide with a theme or enhance a theme and the meaning they can give independently uh, of the theme or subject matter of a game. So, Soren, that was my elevator summary of your article. What did I get wrong? I gave homework to the readers uh, and, I'm sh- and listeners, and I'm sure most of them didn't do it because I used to be a teacher. So could you <laughs> summarize what your point was in your talk and in those essays? Um, well, my main point is that, uh, you know, I think many people, when they come to a game... You know, the first thing they think about is what the game's theme is. You know, this is a game about racing. This is a game about world history. Uh, this is a game about, um, you know, shipping in the Indian Ocean or, or this or that. Um, and, you know, but what a game really is about is the actual, you know, mechanics, the actual play of the game. And... Um, I think that a lot of games get themselves into trouble when you know they sell the game to be all about one thing, but the mechanics are about something else. And uh, you know, there's a couple sort of uh, classic examples that I, I go through. Um, and one I one I like to bring up is the the game of Spore, which is a game that I worked on, and it um, it's an interesting example because. You know the mean, the theme, and the meaning are in many ways in uh, 180 degrees apart from each other. Um, Spore was sold as a game about evolution, um, but in reality, Spore is a game about creativity. Uh, the activities you do in the game are uh, using the editor, creating these creatures, creating these vehicles, creating these buildings, uh, essentially playing God. You know, doing exactly whatever you want to. There, there aren't. Uh, you know, these sort of limitations uh, that you'd see in evolution. And um, there were a number of people from uh, the scientific community who were watching Spore and were interested in the product and really interested in Will Wright going back to a more uh, scientific uh, theme for his game. And, you know, there was this huge disconnect once they finally started playing the game, and that led to a lot of disappointment. And in a way, it's too bad because Spore delivered a lot of really interesting stuff, but it's it's important to people that they know what they're buying, they know what they're getting into when they, they purchase the game, and usually theme is your best way of doing that. So, sports is a good example, and in your uh, column mm-hmm. on Game Development Magazine, you started with the example of Ticket to Ride, right. which I think is a perfect example, the illustration of one of the problems of theme mechanics, especially when players, how players understand a game is different from how uh, developers understand the game. Could you give me? Could you go through sure. that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a fun example. And actually, interestingly, just just last week when I was uh, home for Thanksgiving, I was playing Ticket to Ride with uh, some of my friends uh, who had played it quite a few times. It was their copy of the game. And before we started, I sat them down and I said, "Okay, before we begin, I want you guys to tell me what is this game about." 
you know, what, who are you? What are you doing in this world? Um, and they said, well, you know, it's a railroad game. I'm buying up routes. I'm creating this rail empire. I'm trying to grab these connections from one city to another before someone else does so that I can ship my goods, um, you know, from Lisbon to Moscow, right? You know, I want to be the one to be able to do that. And I want to block my opponents from doing that. Um, and I said, okay, well, that is what the game looks like it's about, but let's, you know, let's crack open the box and let's actually look, let's actually read that first page of the rules manual that no one ever reads, right? Um, and, <laughs> you know, if you read the first page of the Ticket to Ride manual, it's, it, there's some strange backstory about, like, five friends meeting in some smoky back room in London, um, you know, uh, challenging each other to this contest of who can ride the most rails within seven days, which is some, you know, arbitrary number, um, you know, across either the U.S. or continental Europe, or uh, or what have you, and it's it's a game about travel, about who can go to the most cities in the most time and make make the the most connections, depending on what what cards they draw. Uh, draw, but it really doesn't make any sense when you think about the, how the game is structured, because you don't have a physical location on the board, which is something you kind of assume you would have if it's a game about travel. You can literally buy your connections in any order. That you you want to you know backwards or you know scattershot or you know it doesn't it doesn't make any difference whatsoever and moreover than that when you buy a connection and ticket to ride when I buy um, you know a connection from you know Frankfurt to Berlin or something like that that means no one else can now make uh, buy that connection which doesn't make any sense in the world of travel either you know just because I I go on this this trip here doesn't mean you know someone else can't buy a ticket as well. Um, so you have this this strange game where people are playing this game and they think it's about one thing, but you know the designer kind of you know from on high officially said that this game is actually about something else, and you know who is right, you know who is the one that gets to determine what the game is actually about, you know well, if sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say that's actually my question because from my perspective, I guess I like I haven't played uh, Ticket to Ride, but I played a ton of the Railroad Tycoon board games, so similar similar mm-hmm. idea. Which yeah. is now sold under Railways of the World title. Sure. Um, now that the manual could tell me that Railroad Tycoon is about dinosaurs fighting laser squads, but that's not <laughs> what the game is. I mean, right. it's a, don't the mechanics of the game ultimately, especially with strategy, really tell you what the game is? I mean, if you if you're playing Ticket to Ride and you understand mechanics, you understand what you're doing, you say this is what I think the game's about. Ultimately, isn't that really what it is about? Yeah, I mean, there, there's some. There has to be some inner truth to uh, the mechanics, or uh, you know, what I, what I like to call the meaning of the game. Um, in a game like uh, Ticket to Ride, it's very much about uh, claiming things. You know, you're putting your flag down on this route, which gives you, you know, control on this interesting, you know, uh, map of nodes. Um, and so, whatever theme they need to, they're going to pick, it needs to somehow, you know, match that really well. Um, Soren, I, I feel like you're uh, sort of cherry picking a game here um, <laughs> sure. to, to to prove the point. Uh, not that I disagree with you uh, about you know maybe the the disconnect between theme and mechanics, but Ticket to Ride, in in my opinion, is very uh, it's the exception that proves the rule because board games. I, I'm a huge board game uh, board game fan, and I. I time and time again the ones that i've come across that i really enjoy it's it's really all about the theme and and it's the theme that keeps people interested even if the rules might be a little bit wonky or a little bit broken i mean take a game like battlestar galactica right that is (laughs) that game takes an hour and a half just to learn the rules but (laughs) if you care about if you care about the theme and you're interested in the idea of playing Cylons versus humans and these great intergalactic uh, or interstellar uh, uh, space battles, you're willing to stick through um, kind of uh, so-so mechanics just to, to get a chance to be, uh, you know, a Cylon or, or, you know, team Cylon, team human. So Ticket to Ride, in my opinion, is kind of um, kind of an outlier in the board game world, in that really? response, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you look at all these. I mean, look at the Rainer Knizia's games, for example. I mean, he often says, "Oh, I pick a theme, and then I create the mechanics to go with the theme." Right. I look at some. I look at Samurai, 
And the game and the mechanics, it looks nothing like Japan. I mean, I'm sorry. Well, uh, I mean, there's abstraction for any game, of course. Well, sure, but, but I mean, but but there's abstraction, and there's, you know, I think... A, you know, for fighting, every... Go ahead. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm that, I mean, there's, there's, there's abstraction, and then they're saying, well, this game's about this, this game is about something. Right. And Battlestar oh. Galactica, I mean, it's kind of a, a role-playing game. You you assume the role of a Cylon. Yeah, I, right. I, I mean, I think, I think Battlestar Galactica is a perfect... Um, sort of opposition example to Ticket to Ride. I mean, it's it's something to aspire to. Like, I think Bellsword Galactica is a great marriage of theme and mechanics. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole, you know, the series itself is about who, you know, who, you know, are you, know, are you Cylon or are you human? I mean, what a great theme to attach to a trader trader based game. Um, I, I kind of well, wish the, the game was lighter, but that's a that's a separate topic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, um, it's one of those games that takes uh, six hours to play. Um, it, it, I, I would actually argue, I know I, I was the one who brought up the example, right? But um, mm. it, I think the mechanics are a little too obscure and too wonky and, and too over-the-top complicated. I'd say something like um, Last Night on Earth or... Mm. Uh, some of the other flying frog games like uh, Touch of Evil or the new Invasion from Outer Space. I still haven't These... figured out Touch of Evil. Really? Yeah. Really? To, oh, to be it... fair, I didn't try that hard, but yeah, I got <laughs> I got frustrated early with that one. <laughs> well, try try Last Night on Earth, or as I like to call it, Scotch and oh, Zombies. I that. That's that's a good game. <laughs> it's it's a perfect little marriage between um, you know the idea of being caught in this B movie, this zombie B movie, and uh, you know hero quest mechanics. I think the two fit together really well. See, what's, um, what's kind of interesting to me is about your point there is I actually came into the podcast with the opposite idea, with in in particular to the strategy genre is that is that in some to some degree themes end up being window dressing to mechanics. Yeah. And, and so in your articles about uh, when you when you compared Alpha Centauri to Civ, right, kind of justified that opinion to me. And I think I think Battlestar makes an interesting exception to that because it's a licensed product. I think when you've got a licensed uh, IP, theme ends up being more important than it does when you're creating something that you want them where it's it's really you've got mechanics to support an idea to support some idea of window dressing that brings it together. But I cannot think of a strategy game that I have played. Um, and enjoyed just purely on the theme if the mechanics didn't support it. Whereas playing say, an RPG or an action game, I can think of a few that where the theme carried it for me through some pretty paltry uh, mechanics. Uh, uh, I just can't see doing that with a strategy game. I can think of one that yep. managed to, to keep my interest, which was uh, Sid Meier's Pirates. I mean, that's a pretty... As far as strategy games go, it's not the most exciting um, mechanics, yeah, either is, the new or the old one. Yeah, um, I'm going to try to a strategy game. Well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but you can dance. <laughs> uh, I mean... Okay. Go ahead. I mean, well, but it's still a good example of themes. So go. Uh, your thoughts. Well, I, I, I'm more familiar with strategy games in the, in the context of board games. So right. Endeavor is a really good example of a strategy board game that, um, you know, had it been about anything other than uh, Caribbean conquest, I probably would not have given it another thought because it's very fiddly. There's lots of pieces, lots of rules, a lot of things going on. But hey, you get to be a conquistador, and you know you get to. Well, I mean, hey, yay, we get to be conquistadors, but that's not quite what I mean. Um, let me back up on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whew, that'll be fun for the outtakes. Um, oh, there, there are no outtakes. <laughs> oh God, do it live. That's how we do it here. <laughs> oh, we just, that's how we roll in the shire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> live uh you you get to uh, anyway it's the theme I, I i've lost the train of that let's well, go I've, back I've, I've, I've played, uh, yeah i've played endeavor before and uh i think it's a good game but i never it felt like it could have been about quite a few different things it mm -hmm. really kind of feels like a, ma a sort of a math puzzle of extending yourself into certain areas um and i think i mean i think they picked a, a good one but uh, and maybe another way to put this is, I think there's a couple ways to a couple ways to design a game. I think you can start with kind of an interesting mechanic you want to explore, and then you're kind of looking for a theme. And then the other way is you start with a theme that you know you have to tackle, which you know obviously is the case in a licensed game, and then you go looking for a mechanic to match that. 
Um, and you know, I think it's important to keep that in mind that you know, even though games aren't sold in these two different categories, I think you can kind of you know, divide a lot of games along those lines. So what are the potential problems when uh, you have something like, um, say, Spore, where you, uh, the game is sold as one thing or designed as one thing, or gamers are told... That, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Bronze. Uh, okay. Great sure. game from Shrapnel. Right. One of my favorite uh, small independent games of the year. I really and I said, oh, it's a, it, was, it was billed to me. It, it's a game about you know the ancient Mesopotamia and all these great places, but it's really not. I mean, right. yeah, you have places called Babylonians and Hittites and all these wonderful little things that make my heart go pitter-pat. <laughs> uh, but it's essentially a territorial swap game. Right. You, you, you place little cards. You around, I mean, if you are really interested in history, I mean, the theme might get you there. But unless you're interested in learning patterns and doing a count and all this card stuff, you're not really going to be drawn into bronze. Right. And, you know, this, this is something I really want to want to get across and there's something I talked about both, both in my columns and in my, my presentation which is that it's totally okay for a theme to be pasted on if people know that going in right and I think bronze is just a classic one of those games you know I don't think I don't think the theme necessarily makes the game any worse you know it makes it just a little more easier to swallow than if it was purely an abstract game which it could have been, right? It just gives you something to kind of... These could have been Klingons or Romulans. Right, yeah. As much as, <laughs> or it could have been you know, green, red, and blue, right? I right. mean, they could have gone really abstract. It just kind of helps you um, kind of fit this into some sort of uh, uh, idea that you, that, that you, you, know, you have in your, in your head. Um, but one of the things I wanted to tackle is what if you really want to make a game that is actually about something? Right, it's it's actually tackling a topic, you know, that that's in the world, um, and it's not it's not a matter of uh, and 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 tackling it in an honest way, right? That so you can actually say yes, you know, the mechanics of this game are really about something, and you know, of course, it's about the theme. Um, you know, one of the one of the one of the examples I bring up is the gerrymandering game. Um, do you guys know what that is? Not a clue. Yeah, I've, I've I've used it in in, in the classroom. But go okay. ahead. Um, it's this interesting little game that uh, is you know it's it's you know kind of like a capital S serious game. Uh, there's kind of a serious game movement, and it's one of the um, kind of classic examples of those type of games. And it's a game about you're essentially um, drawing up the the legislation legislation the district, excuse me, legislative district lines uh, <laughs> in some area to favor your party against another party, right? I mean, gerrymandering is when you have some crazy district that's, you know, spread all across your state so that you can essentially, if you're the Democrat, what you want to do is you want to get all the Republicans in one district so that in the rest of the districts, you know, you're just kind of at 55%, 60%, and then there's this other district that's 100% Republican. Because, you know, if you do the math, you could have, even you know, even if um, the state has 50% Republicans, 50% Democrats, they, may, they might end up with, um, you know, six representatives, six Democratic representatives, and three Republican ones if you draw the lines a certain way. Right. So it's the opposite of Texas right now. Something like that, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it. the gerrymandering game is a game that, that just tackles that head-on. They're like, you know, this is almost like a game to begin with, so you know, let's make a game about about this process, what it feels like to be you know, essentially disenfranchising voters by uh, you know, drawing district lines that heavily favor your party. And how, and how to... And how to make these things stand up to, to legal challenges, which is the great thing. You can draw these boundaries, but there are rules right. you have to follow. So uh, it's a great, it, 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 it's a good game on its own, and it teaches as well. It's designed to be an educational game. Um, but can you think of a, what a mass market strategy game would look like? I mean, do you have a good example of a game that you think had a perfect marriage of theme, strategy game of theme and mechanics and also meaning? Because meaning is your third tier here. Right. I'll tell you. You guys hit one last week with with the show with XCOM, I think. Yeah, oh. I cannot think of a game with a strong a strategy PC game anyway with a stronger theme and and marriage to the mechanics that supported it. That's an excellent example. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I, I sure. I ultimately, I think XCOM is. I think we could agree, hopefully, <laughs> that it's, <laughs> it's it's basically a game that's about defense and defense from and fear of the unknown. 
Um, right. You've got an unknown alien menace, something malevolent. You don't know what it is. You don't know what they're capable of. And they're going to do something bad. That's all you really know. And your job is to stop them. And everything in, in XCOM that plays into that supports it. I feel like the squads, the, the fact that you have to deal with the psychology of your squad. The fact that, I mean, it's not, you, you guys talked last week about how you never knew it was going to around the next corner. So you could, you know, send your guy out of the craft and get shot and that's it. But also just the fact you have to deal with issues of you've got veteran guys that you want to put out there because they can get the job done and they can keep the, the replacements alive, but the replacements are probably going to freak out and get killed. But just not even just on the, I mean, when we think of Exxon, most of the time I think we think of the actual encounters, but so much goes on when you're prepping for those encounters. Right. If you just researched laser rifles, but now you have to mass produce them, or otherwise your squad's going to be ill-equipped. Can you go through five days without an alien encounter? And if there is one, do you ignore it and wait for laser rifles, which is going to jeopardize your funding? Everything is based on trying to overcome that fear of the unknown and, and, and protect the world. Uh, it sells it in a way that I don't, I can't think of a lot of strategy games that had a theme that strong really matched. I can't think of other games, other strategy games that really matched that strong a theme. Right. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that's actually a game that I, talk, I talked about in my presentation as well. Um, and I, I talked about it in a larger context of one of the reasons why there are so many games about aliens is because it's so easy to map different uh, mechanics onto because you don't necessarily have uh, all the assumptions that people that people bring to a game about a more mainstream topic or a more realistic topic. Because um, well, aliens can be whatever you want them to be, right? Yeah, you know, you can kind of it's a very malleable topic. So that's why I talk about how um, you know there's a series of games about aliens, right? Uh, Galaga is about aliens, but it's really about pattern matching. You know, StarCraft is ostensibly about aliens, but it's really about asymmetry. You know, Gears of War is about aliens, but it's really about cover mechanics. Um, right. And the way, the, what I said with XCOM is XCOM is supposed to be about aliens, but it's really about limited information. Um, but of those four games, probably limited information is kind of maybe more true to what the theme of aliens is, right? Like, if we really did encounter aliens, that's that would be one of the dominant issues we deal with, is, like, we don't know anything about these, what, what's happening to, you know, we don't know what's happening to us, we don't know what we're facing, we don't know what we should do. Um, yeah. I, I, Go ahead. I disagree. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I You know, I, I agree with the conclusions that, uh, you know, you've come up with, but the idea that a game is about its mechanics just doesn't sit well with me. And I think maybe that's the kind of person, okay, me... the kind of gamer that I am, and maybe it differs from person to person. Um, you know, some people... Okay, well, let me ask you this. Is mm-hmm. is Left for Dead about zombies, or is it about teamwork? Oh, it's it's about teamwork. I, I agree with you on, on, on that. Um, I don't, however, think that Left for Dead would work if it were about Klingons, or if it were about... Uh, Unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> I think it needs. No, that's Peggle. Um, yeah, well, if you took Peggle's story and mapped it on Left 4 Dead, actually, that would be a really cool idea. Um, but <laughs> if you, I-, I think Left 4 Dead requires that zombie mechanic to. It's kind of what you said about uh, mechanics informing. Why couldn't, why couldn't Left for, Why couldn't Left 4 Dead be about aliens? Because aliens, (laughs) (laughs) because aliens, and this is getting more into storytelling uh, tropes and and design and all, I think aliens inspire a different response in us as a theme than zombies do. Different fears. It's talking about different, it's, it's, um, what, what are you afraid of when you're afraid of aliens? You're afraid of the unknown. What are you afraid of when you're afraid of zombies? You're afraid of the inevitable. And those are not the same fears. So, you know, it, 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 it seems like you might be able to map the two onto each other, but it's a very subtle differences there that I make it such that I don't think you would be able to do Left for Dead as aliens or robots or, you know, mobsters or whatever. Um, it requires zombies. It's hmm. interesting. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't. I don't think Left 4 Dead require, would require zombies. I mean, it's. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is one of these. I mean, this is sort of a subjective thing, right? I mean, it's. it's yeah. You know, no one's going to really be able to, you know, prove anything here. But it's. If you look at the way Left 4 Dead is designed, 
all of the all of the core gameplay choices they made were based off of the way they saw people play team games, mm-hmm. right? Where they have something like the hunter, which is designed to punish loners, you know, and you have a character like the witch, which is to make sure everyone is working together and people are listening to each other. Um, and you know, I, I it seems like they could have come up with you know these characters, the hunter and the witch. You know, are zombies? They've made you know they they just pulled out of thin air, right? I mean, I don't I don't see them yeah. as archetypes you saw somewhere else. Um, and they could have easily have done that, you know, with with aliens. I think. I mean, I, I think we don't want to we don't want to uh, confuse the the question of did Valve choose a good theme with is Left for Dead truly about zombies? I I don't disagree that. Left 4 Dead is about teamwork. And and the points that you make about picking those design elements and uh, such that they emphasize teamwork, um, you know, I, I, I completely agree with you, but I... I well, what would... Let, let me ask this. Like, <laughs> if you wanted to make... If you wanted to make... A, and this is, this is what... This is kind of the it, general point I'm trying to make. Like, we should be able to make games that are truly about something. And I think when they started to make yeah. Left 4 Dead, they were trying to make a game about teamwork. However, you could start to make a game that really is about zombies. And of course, that's a strange concept because there's no such thing as zombies. But if you <laughs> kind of, if, if you, you know, if you kind of assume the, you know, the general rules of, of zombiehood or whatever, um, what would that game be? It probably wouldn't be Left 4 Dead, but it might be something else, right? And, um, you know how would how would that play out if you start with assumption where you really want to make a game where it feels like it would feel to be um, that guy at the, you know in Night of the Living Dead, right? Well, that assumes that you know Night of the Living Dead is the 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 thing that we associate sure, with. Yeah, zo- yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe zombies are a tough example because there's no you know there's no one objective measure. But uh, do you understand what I'm trying? The point I'm oh, trying absolutely. to make. Oh, absolutely. I I do understand uh, your point. Um, I just Jeez. still disagree with it. <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, the thing about Left 4 Dead is, is, um, well, I, I don't want to bog down the, the discussion any longer. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think there are design choices and not just uh, in terms of game design, but also art design and uh, player design and, and things that pull on the zombie. It's not just mechanics. Mechanics aren't the only thing that go into a, into a game. It's, um, you know the story. It's the art. It's the um, you know it, it, it's it's more than that. And so those are other ways that you know it requires. Uh, um. Yeah. But so this is. I mean, going someplace that I wanted to go. I yeah. mean, the issue of especially in interactive entertainment where games are certainly not just are judged on more than just their mechanics. Right. Um, and they're judged on. Things like the quality of the story work, and you can say this is a great game. The mechanics are overdone, but man, this is a great. You look at something like a Shadow of the Colossus, for example, right. which is a beautiful piece of art, and no one would say it's not a great game, but it's basically a puzzle jumping game, right? Uh, for the most part. So the question is, I guess, if you're a designer, um, and you're trying to do all this, and you want to. Is there a point where you have to decide? You know, the theme is, if not the easiest thing to come up with not the easiest thing to do well it's not the easiest thing to do well but it's the easiest thing to think of right and is that a trap for designers is that an opportunity to be more creative or i mean what is the place of all of this other stuff we judge games on i mean even game designers saying to think of really think about things in terms of rule sets also value these things yeah um i mean i think it's um I mean, I think not, not, it, not that it's an either or a statement. I don't want to make this. Yeah. It, it I mean, to me, this inter- this topic is interesting because uh, you know, I I think that certainly the argument I, I put forward is um, you know, it definitely has um, rubbed some people uh, in a similar way where they're like, you know, I'm, I really am playing this game because of the theme, because of the role I get to inhabit, and you know, there's so much going on in the game, including you know, the audio and visuals and, and so on and so forth that. Bring which, that, are usually, which are usually dependent on the theme, right? That that bring that theme to life for me, and yep. you know that's that's legitimate. Uh, if anything, I'm I, I'm putting the force this this argument sort of to be a corrective because um, I I definitely 
see places where people um, kind of believe that if they make a game that has you know these 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 visuals and this audio and we say it's about this theme, blah blah blah. Um, I think then we're going to lose we we lose some critical thinking about actually looking at what's underneath that theme, you know, and that's something that I really want to spend time examining. Are you talking about uh, the example that you brought up in your DDC speech and in these uh, game developer articles? Um, you, you said something that really stuck with me, which was uh, game, genre conventions uh, can be a barrier yeah. between a player and a game. And, and I absolutely agree with that, 100%. Um, is that what you're trying to get at here? Uh, is, is that the issue? Uh, well, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's one problem I think that that falls out from this. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think genres are interesting because they kind of become, in some places, they kind of become their own theme, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, right. And RTSs are clearly like kind of one of the worst examples of this, where there is this just language of what an RTS means, and either you're you know either you're on the boat or you're not, right? Like. You know, if you if you pick up a, if you take a person who's never played an RTS before, there is such a huge learning curve, not just in terms of what to click on and when and what to build next, but even conceptually about what you're just doing in this general environment. You know, right. I've seen so many people approach a game like Age of Empires and they're just like, oh, I've got some villagers. Okay, well, I'm just going to wander around and I'll build stuff and I'll be like, oh my God, you know, and then the game's <laughs> over, right? I mean, who are those like, guys coming over the hill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you communicate to someone that this is, this, this is a game about rushing, booming, and turtling? Right, like how how do you explain that to someone? Um, it's uh, it's not it's not an easy job. Um, I think I mean it seems to me that theme is much trickier for strategy as a genre right. than it is in other places. I mean, I can I can play Fallout New Vegas and tell you that game is about self determination. I can play Mass Effect Two and tell you that game is about leadership. But you get a game like Civ, and it's about human history, I suppose, to some extent. But it's not. It's not as easily summed up because right. a lot of it, so much of it is tied up in the mechanics of the game. And I think right. that's a little bit more unique to strategy than it is to the other genres. Yeah. Well, that's this, the whole, the Civ is, is something that I've, I've struggled with for years, obviously trying to decide, you know, where it falls on this, on this spectrum, because, you know, I come from a history background and I, I wanted to get into Civ to bring history to life. You know, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the general genuine reason you know, I wanted to get involved with with, uh, with the franchise, and I. Civ is nothing like history. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's a mixed. It's a, been a mixed bag. You know, I mean, I think sometimes a little, I'm a little too hard on the game. Like, I think there's plenty of good history in Civ. Um, you know, even just things of like, you know, early civilization. There's a reason why early civilization started along rivers. You know, like uh, in Civ Four. You know, yeah. if you put two cities on a river, you don't even, you don't need to build ri- uh, roads to connect them. It's kind of, you know, encourages you to go down that path and, you know, lo and behold, that's how, you know, that's how civilizations developed. Right. So, um, you know, there's, there's lots of nice little things in there like that, but then there's also just this issue of player agency and how that becomes a problem for a game about history because history is not a directed process. You know, it's not something that someone planned, you know, and oftentimes, uh, people who try to plan history, uh, it ends up working the other direction that they were they were going towards. Um, and the problem is, uh, it seems like every time we were we tried to move away from that with Civ, uh, it ended up not being fun, right? And if mm-hmm. you're if you're in this situation where you have this me- mechanic, you can go one of two directions. One of which you feel like is more true to history, and the other of which you know, just plays better with your fans or, or rather, you know, they'll string you up if you don't do it that way. You know, what do you do and what are you being true to at that time? Well, Soren, can I ask you, when you say true to history, what do you mean? Right. Do you mean true to the actual dates and, you know, names and conquerors and, and this is how it happened in real life? Or are you no, I being mean, true I mean, to history in the sense of like what you said about, for instance, there's a reason civilizations popped up along rivers. Right. That's something I mean, that would be go ahead. True yeah, to I mean, I mean, true to yeah, that's a good question. I mean, true to the dynamics of history, mm-hmm. um, the process, true so, to the historical process. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely ready to leave the names and date, dates behind. Um, <laughs> that's, that's that's paradox's job. So you know, uh, <laughs> let that one go. But um, and so I, I'd say a good example of that is 
Um, with Civ 3, we, we experimented some with, um, I guess what you'd say, uh, a heavier role for geography to play, especially with the distribution of resources, right? Uh, and this is sort of the, the guns, germs, and steel thing, right? Where, you know, you point out that, okay, you know, horses and cows and sheep, you know, were native to some continents and not to others, and that played a big role in why some developed some civilizations developed one way and some civilizations developed another way. And you know, great, you know, that's a that's a really great point. I think you know, totally true. Let and that's an important historical dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. So let's try that out in Civ three, right? Let's have one continent that has horses and another continent that doesn't, and see what happens. And we saw what happens, and what happens is angry players. Right? <laughs> um, and uh, we we kind of we kind of dialed that down for the release, but even even with the release, there was still um, a pretty some pretty heavy uh, uneven distribution of resources, and that really bugged people so much so that like Civ Four has a very complex system to try to um, provide both you know random resources, but also a, a fair distribution amongst all the players. Um, because even though they're, you know, they think they're playing a game about history, they also have a sense that they're playing a game about fairness. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just history is not necessarily fair. Right? No, Those no, two it's things not. going in opposite directions. Uh, so I'm going to take this to where you're at now. Right. Uh, the Facebook social gaming space. Right. Okay. Uh, these are games which have. Like I'm playing one now called Ravenwood Fair. Uh-huh, yeah. Just a very popular new game from uh, Law Labs, I believe, the developer. And as I play it, I can think as well, this is Frontierville. Sure, yeah. Um, which, of course, was Farmville. Right. Mm-hmm. Where all the mechanics are the same. <laughs> <laughs> but the theme keeps changing bit by bit by bit. Well, not so much Farmville to Frontierville. Another Cityville, I guess, uh, from Zynga. I'll be playing that probably eventually as well, because, you know... Sadly to say, this is a big part of the space, and I've got to know what's there. Right. And there is some strategy and some planning and some optimizing energy and stuff. There actually is there are some mechanics here. What do social games and the reliance on one or two mechanics, because you're working on Facebook games, not necessarily social games, and it's a space you've certainly written something about or interested in. Mm. What does that do uh, for expectations gamers have? What do the success of these games tell us about the relationship between mechanics and theme? Um, well, I'm not sure. That's, uh, let me, let me try to think this through here. Um, I mean, I think I'm still kind of rat trying to wrap my head around what social gaming means. Right. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> that's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of these games, I mean, there's, you know, there's no getting around the fact that a lot of these games are very basic and they really just, you know, what's that Woody Allen quote about half of life is just showing up. Right. Um, mm-hmm. like that's, that's basically what social games are about. You know, like you pretty much, you just got to show up, you know, you can't, can't really lose. You can um, kind of lose your investment, you know, which is which is really an important thing that I think people who don't play Farmville don't appreciate is that you know it's about uh, investing your resources in a way that is going to pay off. And if you don't show up in the right time, it doesn't. It not only doesn't pay off, but you lose your investment, right? Um, and that's you know that's a real mechanic. Um, the best thing that I can figure out that these type of social games, and we really kind of need. A phrase for them. What I usually type of think of them as as appointment based gaming, right? I mean that's, <laughs> that's essentially. And uh, you know it's like you know it's it's some of them are like pulling teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's and that's not my term. That's that actually is frankly the the typical term they're referred to within the design community is appointment based gaming. You know, for <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I don't think I don't think appointmentville is going to show up anytime soon. But but. You know, essentially, what this is what these games are about, and um, what you're really doing, I think, in the best I can see, like that you're making some interesting decisions, is you're designing an environment that best matches your own schedule. Like you're essentially playing your own schedule, in that some people are able to log on more often, some people are not. Um, how much can you predict? you know, will you be back in 12 hours, right? Is there a decent chance that you might forget to log on or something's going to happen and you're not going to be able to come back in four hours when, you know, your crop shows up? Um, And if you understand your schedule, you know, the the better you understand your own schedule, the better you're going to perform at those games. So Um, 
Soren, it sounds to me what you just said a lot like World of Warcraft and any other MMO in the sense that um, you know, people who play more on a more set schedule are rewarded with a different experience than sure. those who play more casually. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's this also this other concept that's been kind of bouncing around the dying community that's called the um, oh, what's what's the exact term for it? It's something like the the myth of work or the myth of labor, um, which is uh, an important uh, way to view these games, and that includes WoW, EverQuest, as well as you know all of the um, Vill type games, which is essentially that we're all used to in real life. Sometimes hard work pays off. But often it doesn't, and often it's very clear, unclear in our real life how we can do something to produce, a, you know, a benefit for ourselves, right? Like, um, you know, sometimes it's clear that if you work for four hours, you're going to get paid, and that's all that's cool, good, and your life's going to move forward. But a lot of times it isn't. One, you know, one of the big appeal of games like World of Warcraft is you know that if you put in some time, you are going to get rewarded, right? There's just there's no ambiguity about that whatsoever, um, and it's, it's, it's sort of a sense that, like, yes, we know the life is unfair, but Farmville is fair. Uh, <laughs> which that should be their I, new market. Maybe it didn't, didn't sound as good after it came out of my voice as, I, as my, my mouth as I thought, but, but essentially that, that's, that's, that's the point. Um, that, uh, you know, you know, if you, if, you, you know, if you tend your crops and you show up at the right time in Farmville, you'll be, re- you'll be rewarded. There's, you know, nothing's going to come and upend your life, right? Although... And that, I, I do think those games... I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Um, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I do think those games... exemplify the notion that that they're more about the mechanics than the theme. I feel like when you've got... I haven't played them, so I'm speaking to an extent from an, ex, uh, an extreme position of ignorance. But right. it feels to me like... Welcome to the show. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um like they, they, you've got Farmville and Frontierville, and the next one's coming. Cityville is just trying to hit certain sweet spots with a, a, you know, okay, this this group of people wasn't that interested in Farmville, but maybe if we try the Frontier thing, that'll right. bring them in. And these people aren't interested in that, so we'll try Cityville, and we'll see if we can bring that in. But at the end of the day, the mechanics are more or less the same. Yeah, and that's I think, and I, I I'll be direct. I think that's one of the big disappointments about social gaming so far, and it's really kind of too bad because, a you know, uh, I think someone asked earlier, like, what are an example of some mainstream games where the the theme and the mechanics match up well, and it's really true to that. And there's there's really some great examples in strategy gaming, and by that I mean stuff like SimCity, Railroad Tycoon, Roller Toaster Tycoon. Um, you know, all of these games I think really are are great examples of games where you know you know the game's really about the theme and in, in a meaningful mm-hmm. way, right? And a lot of these social games kind of are framed a little bit like tycoon games, right? But it's, it's fairly clear that they are pretty much all the same game, you know? And that's, I think that's too bad. And I will see how the space grows. Hopefully, um, you know... I was going to say, do you think that's going to change? But- that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> but Soren, weren't you saying earlier that it's okay if the mechanics are the same and you just slap a, a, a new theme on top of it? Yeah. Was, wasn't it's, that it's definitely okay but the mechanics have to be interesting right <laughs> right, right. If, if it's the same game 10 times in a row then yeah well, it seemed, you know it's you know it's a problem it seems to be interesting somebody so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's you know it's this is something that is interesting to me because i am trying to think about this new audience that's, that's um you know playing these facebook games and certainly it's a mat it's it's a, it is only a matter of time until they realize they are playing the same game over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to sell short some of the innovations that, you know, seen through, you know, think games like Millionaire City and a couple... Like, actually, that's been a really interesting example. Um, I have never even heard of Millionaire City. Okay, Millionaire City, there's about five or six um, city-based social gaming. And there's a real new one called uh, Cityville by uh, Zynga that just came out, like, a few weeks ago, and I haven't played that yet. But all the other ones came out, what is that, maybe nine months ago? There was Social City and uh, what are some of the other big ones? I, but it, basically, uh, there, was, there was My Empire, The City of Wonder. No, I'm sorry to remember some of them. But basically, these games all came out about maybe you know, nine months ago. And there was kind of a little bit of a boom in city builders on Facebook. 
You know, a mm-hmm. lot of these games jumped up to 10, 11, 12 million users, right? But if you look at their numbers, there was a very, uh, there is a drop-off that went for a long way. It kind of looked like the traditional MMO retention curve where you go up and then you start <laughs> going down, 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 down. And, you know, that's that's really not where you want to be. And, they, uh, and they, they pretty, this curve pretty much looked the same for all of these games. And part of the problem was all these games were the exact same. You were basically building houses, which gave you uh, population. But as you need more population, you needed to build more happiness buildings. So you need to build happiness buildings so that they would do something. And that's it. I just described the entire game for you right there. <laughs> like, like you're just you're basically just moving two numbers up and trying to make sure those two numbers are fairly similar. So it's one right. one thousandth of the Civ experience. Yeah, so something <laughs> like that. Um, so you know, if you look at if you look at a chart that sees you know all of these uh, these games go, you're like, oh, I guess you know, I guess this whole city building thing is is a fad. You know, it just kind of came and it went, and you know, people are now pretty much over with city building games. However, at the same time, a Digital Chocolate came out with Millionaire City, and that game. Has been going. It started slow, but it's just been going up, 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 and now I believe it's one of the top five Facebook games. Um, so it's completely outpaced all the other uh, city building games, and it's still on the way up. And here's the thing about Millionaire City: it has game mechanics, right? Like you, you plop down your uh, houses and your, you know, your uh, pizza stores and your coffee shops, and where they're actually located. Like for example, in Social City. Uh, you'll quickly learn that you should just delete all your roads because roads are meaningless. They serve no purpose. Um, in Millionaire City, your roads need to connect the buildings to each other, right? Um, also, in in um, in Social City, it, it doesn't matter if you put all your happiness buildings on one side of the city and all of your uh, uh, houses on the other side of the city. It just makes no difference where anything is. And I should state, this was my experience six months ago. I, I don't know what the exact experience is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Millionaire City... Uh, if you put, um, you know, little happiness things, which means like, you know, trees and playgrounds and so forth next to your houses, that has uh, a, a benefit. Plus, each one of the businesses has a certain radius that uh, encompasses certain houses so that, you know, say your pizza, your pizza place will produce more taxes if it has more population within a certain radius. I mean, these things are not groundbreaking. You know, they're kind of, it's kind of SimCity light, but at least you can see that it's, it's a real game. Right, um, and the the important thing here is that um, it's been succeeding. Right, it it has paid off for Digital Chocolate to put real game mechanics in their game. It's not um, going through the boom bust cycle of every other Facebook game, is what you're saying. Right, exactly. So, so far, yeah, and so that's an encouraging sign for social gaming, I believe. Also, it's certainly an encouraging sign that that social gaming social gamers are starting to recognize quality when they see it. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's still a long way. To, I mean, in a in a se- in a sense, um, it, it, it's Facebook could be a lot of things. Essentially, Facebook is a, just a friends list, right? That's all it is, right. and a a small a distribution network, and you know, a small eight hundred pixel wide frame that you can put your game in, um, and. There's no reason why you couldn't have any any sorts of games on there, and and right now you just have a, a big herd mentality when you're designing games. Um, the game I'm working on right now um, does some things just very very differently. For, uh, the the game I'm working on right now is is Dragon Age Legends, um, so it's you know it's a Facebook version of Dragon Age, okay. right? Um, big and fan of Dragon Age. Good, cool, and uh, <laughs> me too. It's uh, so you're our you're our target audience then. Um, and uh, it's basically a game that has kind of two halves. Um, one half is kind of this turn-based Final Fantasy combat type thing. Um, and I'm sure you can kind of imagine how that, that plays out. Um, and then the other half is the sort of castle building game, where you're building a castle persistently, slowly, in real time, similar to a, a number of other Facebook games. Um, and so we've, we're learning from what succeeds on these, you know, slow, persistent games. But we're also trying to come up with, um, you know, mechanics that we think would be appealing to core gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, one of, the, one of the big issues there is growth in a lot of these games is without context. Like, the only reason to plant more crops in Farmville is to raise, you know, get money so you can plant even more crops, right? I mean, there mm-hmm. are yeah. decorations you can buy and, and so on and so forth. But to some point, you know, is that really, 
you know, I mean, like, what's what's the point of all this, right? Whereas um, in Dragon Age Legends, we have this clear gameplay loop. You know, you you improve your castle to create consumables. It's your essentially your crafting engine. It's where it's where you create your potions and your bombs and your kits and and your scrolls and you know everything else that you will use in the other half of the game, the combat game, right? Um, so. You know, it's it's the combat game is tuned that really encourages you to use consumables. So that's why you need a cool castle. And then, the gold you get from combat is what you use to upgrade your castle. So there's this kind of loop going back and forth where the two games hopefully support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, not not completely different from say XCOM, I guess you'd say. Although the you know the the t- the combat times are different by a factor of maybe a hundred. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So um, you said there were you there were some people a uh, lot of gamers either misunderstood your talk or didn't appreciate it within the industry was there a lot of pushback on this uh, conflict between theme and mechanics or because you're talking in term in the language that game designers understand in the terms of mechanics and language and meaning sure. well, people I, seem to get it more or yeah and I I I don't think I I meant. Uh, what, uh, I wouldn't say I would say that extreme that it was a misunderstood talk or something. I mean, right. I think that uh, people basically understood what I meant, and you know, some people you know disagree with maybe the this you know how how strongly I wanted to put things, and you mm. know that that's fine. You know, I kind of right. just start some discussions. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've gotten generally very good feedback on it. Um, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of people in the industry who are really trying to champion gameplay. You know, as as what really makes games important and unique, and this kind of fits into that, right? Is what you know? I'm trying to say is, your gameplay matters. Your mechanics can mean something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, one of my favorite my favorite examples of this, and I, I should have got this in when we were talking about board games, is the difference between risk and diplomacy, right? <laughs> Yay! I'm glad we came back to this. I'm glad we came back to this because I wanted to ask. Uh, uh, Soren, if you had had a chance um, to play the new iteration of Risk, that uh, came- yeah, you yeah, have absolutely. you okay, all right. So when you said that diplomacy, uh, well, now I'm stealing words from your mouth. Tell me about diplomacy. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> well, to me, what makes it interesting is to someone who hadn't played either either one of those games, they basically look like the same game, right? Um, I mean, one's a map of Europe, one's a map of the world, but it's just, you know, it's still, it's just territories and little chits that you're moving around the board. And, you know, they, they look really, really similar, right? Mm-hmm. But a couple very small differences in the rules mean that the games are about completely different things. And the, the, the big difference is in Risk, you take your turn sequentially. In, diplomas, in Diplomacy, you take them simultaneously, right? In Risk, you roll dice for combat, and in diplomacy, you have uh, deterministic combat, right? Mm-hmm. And this leads to really two very, very different games so that you can say genuinely that diplomacy is about diplomacy and risk is about risk, right? I mean, diplomacy is really about diplomacy because, you know, you don't, you know, you're not, you're promising something, but no one can know for sure what you're actually going to do. And that's that's a key part of allowing someone, someone to lie. I mean, you can sort of lie and risk, but there's always going to be this like delay, <laughs> this this you know multiple turn delay when you when you decide to stab someone in the back. Whereas diplomacy, that that mechanic is brought front and center because you know it's it's very easy to say like yes I'm going to support you when you move you know when you move into Norway and then actually do the opposite and, yeah. and you know dislodge dislodge them from the North Sea and you know but there's a reason that game can end friendships. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And risk, on the other hand, uh, is about how much can I achieve during my own turn, and you know, having also this random factor involved, which makes it hard to like in in diplomacy. If everything goes right, you know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to get these territories. I'm going to get this supply center. He's going to lose this supply center, which means that he's going to have to disband one of his armies, and he's probably going to have to disband this one. Blah 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 blah. Um, so it's it's always clear exactly what's going to happen in diplomacy, assuming you can believe Austria, right? You know, um, <laughs> never tell you Austria. you can't. <laughs> never <laughs> trust Austria. Um, you know, if you you know exactly. And um, whereas in Risk, it's more since there is this randomness, you can never be sure when you start your turn. Like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to foolishly conquer all of Asia, but you know, what is the odds that I'm actually going to be able to pull that off? Well, I'm not quite sure. Um, 
and I, I'm, I assume kind of one of the things you were getting at was how, how has the recent iteration of risk affected that? Perhaps? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So my, my question um, was really that risk and diplomacy are clearly very old games and they play like they're old games. I, I think diplomacy could use the same sort of revamp that risk had sure. um, just a, a year and a half, two years ago. How do you see the, um, uh, how is the, the revamp helped marry theme and mechanics better for risk? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the 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 uh, update of Risk. I, I think mm-hmm. they did a great job, and I do think also it made the game even more about Risk. Yeah. Um, and I guess we should give us a quick summary for people who haven't played it. Um, but basically, you know, in in the in the classic version of Risk, it's the winner take all situation. You know, you the, there's only going to be one winner, and well, there's always only going to be one winner. But the winner has to take over the whole world. They have to wipe everyone out, or usually. They win because everyone else is stormed out of the room. And you know, so, um, that's how my game ended. <laughs> yeah, but you know it can be a total slog. I mean, these you know our game of Risk, which is not necessarily a complex game, can take you know five or six hours if you know yeah. things are just going back and forth and back and forth. Um, so they tried to direct the game more with the new version of Risk by making the game about objectives. And so the objectives are uh, capture X number of cities this turn. Uh, capture all of capture all of asia you know uh win six battles you know i I forget what they all are exactly but they're they're all stuff like that and the first person to win the game is the the person who first achieves three different objectives Mm -hmm. and what that does is obviously that focuses people not on trying to conquer the world but trying trying to achieve objectives and that turns risk from what was largely a defensive game where you're much primarily concerned about controlling your own um, uh, production base, I guess you'd say, um, and hoping that you're, you know your the other players are attacking each other to an offensive-based game where every turn, if you don't achieve an objective, you're probably losing the game. So well, well, well I, don't I, I would that's say that's funny. I would say that's true. I mean, well, at any rate, it's it's a big focus, right? I mean, yeah. you really want to achieve an objective on your turn, and if you if you do achieve objective on your turn, you feel like you've done you've done what you you know you've succeeded, right? It's been a good turn, and what that means is you're willing to push yourself, right? You're willing to do things that you wouldn't have done in the old version of Risk. You're willing to stretch your forces thinner than you would have otherwise. Um, and you'd think that could get you into trouble, but there's this kind of funny thing going on because everyone's pursuing that strategy. Everyone's going to stretch themselves a little bit thin. Um, it's kind of okay. It's kind of like, you know, you have your moment in the sun and the next guy comes along and he has his moment. Um, and the territories themselves tend not to be as well defended as they would have been in the more conservative, stodgy old version of Risk. Um, so maybe, maybe I think it, it depends on player styles. I mean, certainly there sure. is the, the ability for uh, not just you trying to get your own objections or not just you trying to get your own objectives on your turn, right. but also trying to screw the other player out of getting sure. his objectives or sure. her objectives. Yeah. So yeah, that's, there that's is, there's a little bit more um, there, but you're, you're absolutely right that um, you know, it, 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 is, it is less about clearing the board of everybody else's pieces and more about, I feel, more about dominating the world. And, and world domination really takes that theme and by the hojos and... <laughs> Um, right. You, you're accomplishing the great feats. Is that yeah. kind of what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think you know, mechanically, I think it's a, it's a great change because I think games that are offensively minded tend to just be more fun than games that are defensively minded, you know, where you're, you're doing something active, right? I mean, I think that's, that's just a great thing. Now, do you think diplomacy needs a revamp? Whew. Um, <laughs> I mean, in a sense, I mean, diplomacy is one of these games that's like, the favorite game that no one ever actually plays, right? Like <laughs> I, I just have an enormous amount of respect for diplomacy, but you know, oh, man, you love your friends too much to ever yeah, play it with them. Yeah, basically, like that's... who you know, I need a constant supply of strangers so that I can play diplomacy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing Strange. about that game is once you've played it, I think two or three times and had some of the stuff. I genuinely feel guilty when I stab someone in the back, and the the current game. Well, I, that is why you lose. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> 
But I'm in a play-by-email game of that right now, and I think it's going to be my last one because I just don't feel like a jerk every yeah. every other turn. Oh, yeah, I've done some play-by-email stuff with that too, and it's funny. Even even this anonymous person, if anonymous person, if I've worked with them for at this point, you know, a month and a half, you know, at some point, it's like, ah, you know, I just, I mean, I think deployment. It's a good question because, in a sense, diplomacy has had some revamps. Like it now goes by the name of Neptune's Pride, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean that is that right. is diplomacy for our generation, um, but I guess the bigger question is: Could you make a game about diplomacy that doesn't make you feel so bad about yourself as a human being? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't or have an easy way to trust in your buddies. Yeah, yeah would it really exactly. be about diplomacy then? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe well, maybe the best bet. I mean, I'm just like brainstorming here, but the best bet might be to make a game so much shorter. Right, like yeah. if, if you could do like a game like that that had those dynamics in half an hour, um, that might be that might be a big improvement, right? Yeah. Because I wouldn't feel so bad stabbing you in the back if I, you know, if I know we're going to play three or four of these games a night. Mm-hmm. Well, on next week's show, the WikiLeaks version of diplomacy will be unveiled. <laughs> <laughs> here um i think we're going to wrap it up right there uh we have our good long hour in uh next week's show uh has no topics been chosen no idea who's going to show up and who's not going to show up you'll know probably a little after i do uh thank you for listening uh soren it's always a pleasure to have you on the show yeah it's fun to be here there will be links to his columns, his game developer columns, which are published on his blog. They have already been linked in one post, will also be linked again uh, at the bottom of the podcast. And if I can find a video of his GDC talk uh, or a summary of it, there will be a link to that as well, uh, or at least someplace where you can buy it. Yeah, there, there is an audio good. recording, but I think you yeah, I think you have to pay a little bit of money for it. There will be a link to it because uh, the people at GDC do great work, and it's a great, great chat. Uh Lara and Todd, so glad you could sit in. Thank, Thank you. It was a real invited. pleasure. And good night, everyone. Talk to you next week. Night. Good night. Good night.